Hi, I'm Ellen Newhouse, and welcome to Heart and Soul. Are you ready to live a soulfully inspired life? If you are ready to dive deep, get seriously honest with yourself, and learn to trust your deep wisdom, then this is the place for you. I'll be sharing unfiltered stories from my own life and those of many other courageous, creative entrepreneurs and transformational leaders who have dug deep inside themselves to heal, honor their amazing wisdom, and dare to take inspired action. No more sitting by the sidelines wishing for a more satisfying life. It's time for you to become the person you have always dreamed of being. Have a career and a life you love. Join us each week to be spiritually uplifted and inspired into action. And oh yes, I'll be giving you homework to get you moving closer to your dreams. Welcome back to the Heart and Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Newhouse, and today I am so excited. We have somebody near and dear to me who I haven't seen in years. Her name is Rachel Alexandria. She worked for eight years as a licensed psychotherapist, shifting in 2015 to serve as a soul medic and guide for high performers with sensitive souls. Rachel holds a Master's of Fine Arts in Poetry and an MA in Applied Behavioral Sciences. She has trained extensively in energy work, the Enneagram, IFS, and family constellations. Clients who work with Rachel become masterful at cleaning up hidden messes, cutting out unhealthy relationships, expressing their truth, and stepping up to their deepest purpose. Well, hello, my dear friend. How are you? Hello. I'm good. And I'm so glad to be here. Oh, well, it is such a treat for me. And it's such a treat. I've been watching you on Facebook and I'm so happy to see you so happy living in California versus the gray of Seattle. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So much better down here for me. I'm solar powered. That's always what I say. I'm a little lizard and I'm solar powered. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Well, then you should be very happy with all that sun out there. Mm -hmm. So before I tell you what I want to talk about, I want to know, (laughs) soul medic, like I have gone over and over that title. Tell me, where did you come up with this? I love it. Soul medic. So, oh boy, I don't know how many years ago it was now, three or four years ago, I re-met someone that I had done a summit with just on Facebook. I commented something. She's like, hey, let's, let's have a little chat. So the lovely Jennifer Arezio. Mm-hmm. who is the founder of Soul Languages. Ooh. She and I were just having a little networking chat and mm-hmm. she just started like dropping insights on me. So I ended up working with her because she kind of is a person who can help people distill their spiritual work into better marketing language. Mm. And what, a couple of the things that she said to me, because you know how nice it is to have somebody who like sees you in a yes. way that you don't quite get the angle. Right. And so one of the things she said to me, she's like, honey, you are reading Akashic records without knowing that that's what you're doing. Ooh. I've never trained to read Akashic records, 
but apparently that's what I'm doing. And she just said, you're a soul medic. Oh, I love it. I love it. I mean, I, I've stared at it. I've thought about it ever since she sent it to me. I'm like, ooh, soul medic. So she's like, when I think of a medic, they're like emergency and she's doing triage on people's souls. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so for folks who don't know, it's also tricky because you don't ever in your in a business, if you're not a licensed medical professional, there's things you literally can't say. Hmm. If you get big enough, you you can't say this product heals something if it's not approved by the FDA to say that it heals or cures something. And there's different words that you can't use when you're a practitioner. So I'm, I'm very thoughtful about that. I remember when we, when we first met, you were saying to me, <laughs> cause I was very concerned about how do I do this thing? Right. Like I don't, right. I don't want to step on anyone's toes or anything. And, and you said to me, you've spent lifetimes learning structure. You don't mm. need to do that anymore. What you need to learn to do is open your heart. Oh, that was a thing I will never forget. And it, it oh. opened up a whole path for me, Ellen. So oh. I'm so excited. You know, I never remember what I say to people and people get come that. back to me like five years later and they say, yeah. oh, you know that you changed my life. I'm like, really? Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk about opening hearts. What I want to talk today about is why it is so hard for people to love themselves and how do you help them? How do you, where do you even begin? Mm. Oof, it's so hard for people to love themselves because most of the world spends a lot of time telling them that they're not good enough. Mm. Like, you know, when I got into psychotherapy after a little bit, I really got into the kind of new wave of feminism mm. and saw how much the way that our society is geared, our capitalist society wants to sell us stuff. And how do you yeah. sell people stuff? By telling them that they're not enough unless they have it. Oh, that is such a good, you know, I haven't thought about that. That is such a good point. It's what Madison <laughs> Avenue is constantly telling us. We're not Absolutely. A- You're not enough unless you have this purse. You're not enough unless, you know, you'll be happy once you have of this. Mm. And I mean, let's not even get into too much of the patriarchy and how much mm. it says women are just not plain, not enough. Mm-hmm. Like there's literally nothing you can do to be okay. Mm. If you have kids, you're burdening society. If you don't have kids, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you, you know, if you have sex, then you're a slut. And if you don't have sex, then you're a prude. And Ugh. Lord forbid that you age or gain weight or in any way be not perfect. And it's impossible. So There's a thing that happens to men in the patriarchy, too. If you don't have the right muscles, if you're not Mm -hmm. strong and tough enough, but you you also have to let people in and, you know, do it all yourself, but don't do it all yourself. And everyone should have lots of time off and enjoy (laughs) your life and rest and relax. But also don't stop being productive. Don't be lazy. You better make enough money or or else, you know, what happens? You're a worthless piece of junk. (laughs) There's there's no winning. No, there's no winning. There's no winning if you allow yourself to listen to that voice. And, you know, capitalism didn't start it, to be Mm -hmm. fair. You know, a lot of parents, either through ignorance or their own trauma, aren't great at giving kids consistent messages of worthiness. Mm -hmm. So most of us didn't grow up thinking that we were okay, Mm -hmm. as we are. So where does one begin if... 
or where does one continue? Let's see. <laughs> I mean, you know, because as we both know, once you get on this journey, there it is a lifetime of mm-hmm. working and discovering and healing. But what if you're really stuck in the I'm not enough voice? Where do you begin? Mm. Well, if you're stuck in the I'm not enough voice, first of all, let us be an interrupt to that pattern and say that voice is lying to you. Mm-hmm. If if you're sitting around thinking you're not enough, that that's a lie that your mind has told you through a lot of inherited beliefs, because mm-hmm. I know Ellen and I can sit here being the connected spiritual beings that we are and say that is not from spirit. That is not the truth. It, mm-hmm. It's just not. It can't be. Everyone is worthy. Everyone belongs. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a place and they are already good enough. Mm. This is just what's true. So anything that tells you anything else, it's just plain a lie. So when you start to understand that or choose to believe that, mm-hmm then the work is really about how to interrupt the patterns in your mind. So in IFS, which is internal family systems, or I say parts work, mm-hmm. we this is a therapeutic modality, but it's a really effective one. You start mm-hmm. to learn that there's all these different little parts of you in your mind, these mm-hmm. different voices from different times in your life that kind of run your show, mm-hmm. depending on whether you're triggered or you're relaxed or something happens that reminds you of something. And one of the really pushy predominant parts is an inner critic Mm -hmm. or multiple inner critics. So learning that when you're hearing those voices that are saying things to you that make you feel terrible about yourself, Mm -hmm. that's your inner critic. And they are trying to bully you into being small or doing something perfectly so no one else ever gets mad at you mm-hmm. or so that you never get hurt or rejected or abandoned again. And it's an impossible task. So that's so interesting. I find that the inner critic has a protective element. It's mm-hmm. trying in not such a good fashion, but it mm-hmm. is trying or maybe uh-huh. it started to try to protect you. For so sure. How do you, so how do you balance that? What do you, is there a step that people can take to understand, okay, this voice came to protect you and mm-hmm. now it no longer serves you. So what, how mm-hmm. can people interrupt it? You can interrupt it by first starting to understand whenever that happens, that that's a critic. And you can if you can make enough space to be curious about it. So this is the tricky part. Like, like you have to understand that that's not you. And it's also not necessarily a terrible thing. You know, if it's your inner critic, like you say, it is trying to protect you. Mm -hmm. So if you can find a space to kind of get a little bit of room from it so that you can look at it with curiosity and Mm -hmm. compassion and also the knowing that you, the center of you, the the like highest you is more than that critic. It's bigger than that critic. Mm. So it's actually supposed to serve you, not boss you. Mm. When you can take that stance and say, okay, hey, hang on. 
I hear that you're upset with me or that you're yelling at me. Right. Why are you doing this? Like, why do you feel like you need to do this? Hmm. And getting into a conversation with it can be helpful. And also starting to set limits on it and saying, look, I know, like, it sounds like you really want me to get my tasks done so mm-hmm. I don't get fired, right. you know, for example, or so that my wife doesn't leave me or mm-hmm. my kids don't hate me or whatever it is that the critic's saying, you know, you're a piece of crap and you should blah, 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 blah. You're so right. lazy, blah, 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 blah. So letting the critic know, hey, I, I understand that you're trying to help me perform better in some kind of way, but this is not helping. Mm. So setting boundaries with them being like, you want to help, but let me show you how painful this is for other parts of me. Like Mm. that's a thing you can do. I'm not saying this is easy. Like this is often done with a practitioner, but this is what you can do. You can tap into like separate the critic out and then tap into the parts of you that are hurt by its abuse Mm. and be like, Hey, you know, this hurts. This is what you're doing. It's not producing the result you want. Right. So do you ever suggest to people that they journal it out? Like they have the different voices and they have a conversation. Does that help people to see it more easily? I think that it can. Yeah, for sure. There's a methodology called voice dialogue mm-hmm. that I think works more like that. That's it, it's not what I tend to do because <laughs> the clients I tend to work with, they won't journal. <laughs> they're really they're really bad at it. They're not journalers for the most part. They are too busy or they already have inner critic stuff around their writing. And so oh, that's not a safe space for them. Mm-hmm. But they they usually can visualize. So we'll be doing it there. And I might suggest, you know, making post-it notes and putting them on mirrors to remind them of things. Um, What kind of post-it notes would you put up? um, If if the thought in your head makes you feel terrible about yourself, it's a lie. Mm, I would put that on a post-it note and stick it on a mirror. I like that. I mean, isn't it interesting that these voices in our head... If somebody outside of us were saying it to us, we'd be like, bye-bye. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully, right? I mean, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> I mean, you know, for, for many people, not all, but yeah. for many yeah. people. But when it's inside of us, it's so much mm-hmm. harder to say, bye-bye, mm-hmm. you don't belong mm-hmm. here. You know, mm-hmm. It's so insidious that it's like, how do you comb it out? That's why I wrote a little book called Who is in Charge of Your Brain? Oh, I love that. So is that on your website? <laughs> it is on my website. Yeah. And it's just a little, it's, it's a little mind hack and it's illustrated. So mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of reads like a kid's book and it's little stick figures talking about like what happens inside your brain and who's in charge and mm-hmm. oh, the critic thinks it's in charge, but guess what? It's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and here's how you can interrupt that pattern and teach it something different So, interesting. So in addition to the inner critic, I mean, are there other voices? I mean, the inner critic seems like a very obvious one, but are there Mm. other voices that get us into trouble? You know, I would say yes. So there's a couple things. There's one that's more of like a psychologically established thing. And then there's kind Mm. of a woo-woo thing. So (laughs) the psychologically established thing is we often have voices that resist the inner critic. Um, We can have parts that get polarized against the bossiness 
I mean, literally anybody listening, have you ever thought, I really want a cookie? And there's a part of you that says, you shouldn't have a cookie. It's not good for you. You don't need the sugar or it's too late at night. And the other part who wants the cookies, like, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> so I know, I know nothing about this. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> or, you know, I really should get to bed. I need to get up early in the morning but I want to stay up and read my book or watch this show or Mm -hmm. they actually they have a word for it. That's kind of come out during the pandemic. It's something about rebellious, rebellious late night syndrome or something Mm. like that. But you know, adults are like, I finally put the kids to bed and I should just go to sleep. But now the time is mine. I want. And so then you're up till two in the morning. Right. So So what do you do with these voices? Well, first you have to, you know, you have to get the inner critic off their back because rebels will not stop rebelling as some, as long as something's pushing them. You know, as long as the stern vi- like principle is there telling them that they're bad, right. they're going to be like, yeah, I'm bad. I'm going to do whatever. You can't bully me. So when you get the inner critic to give a bit of space, then you you need to connect with the rebellious one and... You know, first, the first thing we really need to do that we often forget to do is to listen to and honor our feelings. Mm. So if the rebellious one's feeling like, I never get to do what I want, you Mm. know, sitting with them being like, yeah, I hear that you feel like that. You feel like things are never going your way and you never have free time and you're really tired and Mm. you just want to play. And that's hard. You didn't get to play enough when we were younger. So anytime we have feelings that are kind of outsized, mm-hmm. like, like big and, and kind of yelling, what they want is attention. Mm-hmm. They want attention and validation. Mm-hmm. So that's the place we start with them is, okay, yeah, you never felt like you got to do just what you wanted. Mm-hmm. And even if that's not true, even if you've had the cookie every day for months, It's funny, getting the thing that you want or the thing that you're rebelling for doesn't satisfy the urge. What satisfies the urge is attention. Wow. Okay, I'm going to sit with that for a moment. So the thing that we think that we want that's going to fulfill us is not really what's going to fulfill us, but rather the attention. Mm -hmm. Wow. That makes sense. So my clients will come to me and be like, oh, I'm having this, uh, this thing. And why can't I give myself? And I'm like, well, first, can you just, can you just honor that you're angry about that? Mm. Just be with it and say to that part of you who's angry. Yeah, we're angry. That sucks that they did that to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was really hurtful. You're really hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't, if you have any skeptical listeners, I invite you to try it with children small children just mm-hmm. <laughs> when they're feeling how they're feeling like yeah you really wanted to eat that snail on the ground that was hard you didn't get to yeah I know it looked so fun and gushy mm. and you it was annoying that I picked you up and you didn't like it when you say that I just sit and think how even though we're all in these adult bodies there are still these small children inside Mm. of ourselves that really need to be essentially reparented Mm -hmm. in a loving and compassionate way that many of us didn't get growing up. Because when you say that, I'm like, oh, I hear you. I really get that. (laughs) It's so nice. It's so nice. 
And it's so hard so often to treat ourselves with that loving kindness, you know, mm. especially in the beginning of the journey. It's so, mm. I mean, I think we're, there's so much confusion and there's so much frustration and upsetness that it's so hard to get to that loving kindness place that you just demonstrated. So one of the things I'm curious about, because I had one, maybe, no, I had one incredible eye-opening, heart-opening, mind-blowing experience of family constellation work. Mm, it was mm-hmm. crazy. It was, mm. it blew my mind. I was like, oh my God. I mean, somebody literally became my father in, yep. in that. And I, and they did it. When it was done, the man actually who played my father was shaking and came over to me and he was like, oh, are you okay? And I'm like, I am so okay. And he was blown away because there's a lot of energy, right? Yeah, but yeah. Can you tell people a little bit about the family constellation and how it works? Oh, boy. I can try. <laughs> <laughs> Having seen family constellations, you understand a bit that it's almost impossible to put into words. It's In fact, every time I, I facilitate, <laughs> I say to the people, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to fully explain this to you. But after you experience it, if you have a way to explain this, that would be helpful to others, please tell me. And afterwards, they're always like, yeah, I don't know how to tell you. I don't know how to say what happened here. Uh, The closest that I have come is one of my participants said, it's kind of like spiritual improv. Totally. That was interesting. 100% agreed. It at least describes a portion of how that feels. So, Mm -hmm. So family constellations is a way of work of like, getting perspective on any system. So most of the time we use it with family systems, meaning, you know, I want to understand why my sister was always such a jerk to me Mm -hmm. or, you know, my mom was always distant and I'd love to be able to have some clarity on that or better connect with her or something. But in family constellations, we don't actually work with the real people. Right. We, we're in a group and of people who don't really know each other, mm-hmm. strangers mostly. And the strangers will step in to represent people in your family or people mm-hmm. in the system if you do, because you can do it with parts of the body or people at work or whatever, as long as there's a, an authentic need for understanding. Mm. So when people step in as representatives, they don't ever really know what they're doing. They're not given instructions. They're not directed. It's not like role-playing at all. Right. You just, what we say in the constellations world is when we get together with the intention of healing in a group and the facilitators holding the energetic container, what gets created is the knowing field. That's what Constellations calls it, the knowing field, the field of energy that contains the information that we need for whatever wants to be revealed and reconnected in this moment. Wow. That explained it very, very well. I mean, it's, I was shocked by it because when you say the knowing field, the person Mm -hmm. who played my father literally played him so well that I Mm -hmm. was shaking. 
I mean, it mm. was, I was just like, oh my goodness. I mean, mm-hmm. that, and he didn't know anything about who my father was. Mm-mm. So that leads me to question so much. It's like, oh my God, if that can happen in like 20 minutes, yeah. that tells me that there's so much intelligence beyond what we can see feel, hear, know, that it makes me wonder, is there an intelligence that can help us to heal in ourselves right around us? Yeah. When you study constellations intensively, which I I did, I Mm -hmm. I did a year-long facilitator training. After a while, you just start to see it everywhere. It's not just in these workshops, Mm. this, this knowing field. You start to realize it's all around you all the time. And it's just our level of attention to this kind of fabric of the universe and how much we're participating in it or, or receiving the messages. So do you think there's a way if we could put our attention in that field that we could use it on purpose for ourselves? Like not in say a constellation group, but as we're walking through our days. I absolutely think so. I would say the tricky part, just like anything else in life, Mm -hmm. is that when you facilitate constellations, you have to step as much aside from your longings and your wants and your desires. Like as a facilitator, I might look at somebody's issue that they've brought to me and be like, well, I know it needs to happen. They need to forgive their dad. He needs to apologize. They need to hug and everybody else needs to watch it happen except that it's not up to me. It's not up to me what the system wants to do or how it wants to do it. And anytime I try to exert my control or my will upon what wants to happen, Mm -hmm. it's a problem and it won't work. (laughs) So stepping into that stance is really the tricky part. Mm. It's not believing that it's possible. It's how often do we step into the stance of saying, well, I understand that I want information or I want healing and I'm going to release any attachment I have Mm. to how it happens or when it happens. I mean, it's the kind of thing you hear about manifesting, right? Like set your intention and then let go of outcomes and easier said than done. Much easier said than done. Yeah. I think attachments get us into probably expectation and attachments, I think probably get us into more trouble than almost anything else in life. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to let go. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's so hard to just say, okay, I am fully unattached to this. Yeah. Yeah. And I can do it really well as a facilitator. I can do it really well in sessions with clients. Mm -hmm. I have moments where I can do it well with myself. And then, you know, I have to just keep coming back to remembering, like I have to keep looking down at my hands and realizing how tightly my fists are clenched about what I'm trying to do or make happen. All the time, I find myself like shaking my hands out and releasing my metaphorical grip on the steering wheel of my life. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, not my way, but God's way over and over and over because that's not how the human brain works. Like the human brain is built to try to control and aim for safety and, Mm. you know, fight for security and, 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 you know, push with our willpower. So 
getting our brain and our parts to, to coordinate, mm-hmm. to allow, allow, allow. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a constant effort, really, until I guess someday when it's not. <laughs> <laughs> until we get to enlightenment. <laughs> well, and, and that's a whole other conversation. I don't know that I believe that there's a constant state of enlightenment that's possible while being human, because when you're enlightened, you don't need to eat or drink. Mm-hmm. You don't care if you live or die, right? So right. in order to keep functioning in a body you still have to work towards getting things you need and you want. Hmm. Oh, interesting perspective. I mean, that's interesting. I've never thought about it, but I've known two people who I believe were truly enlightened in this life and they didn't stay here very long. Mm. So it's interesting that you talk about having needs and wants of the human body. Now, That brings me to another thought that I have is since you work with so many people, do you find that the healing has to happen also on the physical level, not just on the mind level? I think for the most part, yes. I mean, I absolutely believe the body keeps the score. Mm -hmm. You know, I think most things that we experience physically are manifestations of emotional and spiritual work that we are either doing or neglecting. (laughs) So Mm. I don't think we have to heal the body in order to heal the mind. But I do think the body contains information for us about whatever it is we're neglecting whatever emotions we're not processing, whatever traumas we haven't released, they will manifest in the body. And the body is sometimes the slowest and sometimes the fastest to heal. (laughs) Like Sometimes we can take stuff out of the body by just saying, hey, oh, we recognize that this is where this trauma is now residing. And please, this is, you know, how energy work will do it. I'm sure you know, Mm -hmm. pulling it out and saying, okay, please let me take this into my awareness now Mm -hmm. so that the body no longer has to hold it. And I have absolutely seen symptoms dissipate because of that. Right. And at the same time, we can shift energetically so much faster than the body is able to Mm -hmm. actually do a thing because the cells have to regenerate and it has its own process for moving things out of the physical. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it makes me think about people who say, you know, this law of attraction does not work. I have held what I've wanted in my mind for years and still I don't have it. But I've been thinking about that a lot lately and thinking, but you need to do it both on the mental level, the emotional level and the physical level. So I don't think it's that the law of attraction doesn't work. I think it's just that perhaps we're holding subconscious beliefs on the physical level that haven't been worked through yet that are not congruent with what we're holding in our minds. Absolutely. One of my first healing experiences that really set me on the path to doing what I do now was I was in grad school for psychotherapy Mm -hmm. and I was in my second year and I just had this feeling like, like I was a fraud. And I'd never had that feeling in anything else before. I know that that's a common, like imposter syndrome is a common thing. It just doesn't happen to be one of the patterns that I get 
waylaid by, but it was happening to me then. And I couldn't understand it because I could step aside and look at it logically. I was like, I'm doing really well in school. Like if, Mm -hmm. if we had levels, I know I would be in the top level of what we're doing. Like I understand the reading, I'm participating well in class. I know my, my professors, you know, think I'm doing a good job. I know I'm doing good in my internship. Like no one has any reason to be dissatisfied with me. Mm -hmm. Why do I have this feeling? And I couldn't understand it. I went to an energy healer that kind of got put in my path basically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, we did a few sessions and I kept saying, I need to, I need to get to this. What is this? And she had me doing some tapping. So for folks who know EFT tapping, she had me doing a protocol that included that. And so I'm tapping on my, like tapping around my ear and I'm following her fingers with my eyes as they do this loop-de-loop pattern. And I'm mm-hmm. saying some kind of statement and in my head, I'm like, this is stupid. What am I, this doesn't mean anything. I don't know what, what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, I burst into tears. Like mm-hmm. this huge torrent of tears came out of me, surprising me. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was not sitting there sad. I was sitting there annoyed and skeptical. <laughs> and this thing burst out of me, this like intense emotion about a time when my parents split and my dad was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And the message I got from both of them, which was intended to be helpful was, this isn't your fault, honey. Dad is sick and mm-hmm. you can't save him. Mm-hmm. And I had it locked into my cells in my body that I could not save people. I could not help people. I could not heal people. Oh, wow. Isn't that amazing? Logically, I would never have said that. I thought I would be like, well, that's alcoholism. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to save an alcoholic. Like everyone has to make their own decisions. But my body had this six-year-old memory locked in my chest in my cells that said, you can't heal people. That's not possible. So what am I doing then? Right. Trying to be a therapist and help people. Right. (laughs) So, so yeah, it it has to, the work, anytime we're really stuck and frustrated with where we're at, there's often work about something that's subconscious or locked in the body, limiting beliefs, that kind of thing. And sometimes it's just not timing. You know, Mm. I'll acknowledge that too. Like I've wanted, you know, a wonderful romantic relationship for most Mm. of my life. And and that still hasn't happened, you know. And at this point, I don't think it's about any kind of limiting beliefs. I've done a lot of work on all that. It's sometimes it's just, you know, we don't always get everything we want exactly when we want it. Talk about being non-attached to it. It's, you know, it's It's taken a long time. (laughs) (laughs) I've been very, very attached to getting attached for so long. And it just made me miserable, you know, and I, I finally, you know, I'm not, I'm not happy about it all the time, but I finally got to a place where most of the time I'm just like, it's, it just is, this just is how things are. And I'm still good enough and I'm still loved and I still belong regardless. It's okay. Mm. Isn't that, you know, I think that's such a a huge piece of healing. Anything is coming into a place of acceptance. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for most of us, we have ideas about what life should look like in order for it to be good. 
Right. And and, and we often conflate that with if I'm good enough, exactly. my life will look like this. Exactly. And so when it doesn't, then right. it must be because I'm not good enough. <laughs> right. And then we miss the joy of what's right in front of us. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, no, you know, it's um, I think I know there have been times in my life as well where I was so glued into what life should look like in order for me to be happy. And because it wasn't, I was not happy. And as Mm -hmm. soon as I got into acceptance of saying, oh, wait, 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 wait. All of this is really, really, really good. Can you look at that? You know, really take all that you have in knowing Mm -hmm. that, yes, there still are things that you want, but look at over here, all of the goodness Mm -hmm. Oh, there's so much work to be done. (laughs) (laughs) So if people are wanting to work with you, first of all, are you doing any constellation groups right now in your area? I was doing a monthly constellation group online. You're kidding. Online? Yeah. And it's still worked online? Oh, yeah. Works great. Yep. Oh, and so are you still doing it? I, you know, by the time this comes out, it's certainly possible that I will have a group going. I kind of do them as I feel called. Okay. So I took a little break, but uh, I'm sure I will be feeling called again soon to do one. So yes, I do family constellations groups and people can just go on my website. I'm sure I will be, <laughs> it'll be on there. <laughs> if they go on my website and go to slash constellations, basically. Okay. And so what is your website so that people can get in touch with you and learn about everything that you do? Yeah, it's rachelalexandria.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming and bringing all of your beauty and your wisdom. I have so appreciated you today. Thank you. Absolutely. And oh, I, we were going to share with people too, your listeners, that they could be the first to get my free PDF about the inner critic like a little workbook awesome so is that on your website that is also on my website if you go to rachelalexandria.com it's usually in the footer of every page it'll be uh how to turn your harsh inner critic into your personal champion Oh, That's I'm a gonna free, go free grab that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, my dear. Thank you so much. And for all of you who are listening, I will see you next week. Thanks so much for joining me on the Heart and Soul podcast. It's such a joy for me to be with you. I know firsthand how much easier it is to rise when you have community to laugh with, shed a few tears with, and be inspired by. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, go subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas, or you might want to be a guest on my show, please contact me directly at ellennewhouse.com. And while you're there, grab the special resources I have created for you to begin to take inspired action in your own life. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.